0: our risen king. So we're going to now move into our children's message. So any of our kids that want to come up here, come on up. All right. It's taking them a little bit of time to filter over. All right, come on up here. Hey, buddy. All right. How are you guys doing today? Good. Have have any of you all ever had like a really, really good friend? Yes. Anybody? Did you ever have a really good friend that maybe did something really special for you? Like made a sacrifice for you? Who Who's had a friend that's done that? Raise your hand. Can you all remember anything? Lift your hand if you can. What do you remember? What kind of sacrifice did your friend make for you? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Okay. Anybody that can remember that could tell us? Anybody can remember? Yeah. You, you can remember, but you don't want to tell. Okay, does anybody remember that wants to say it so that I can tell a congregation? That's okay. You don't have to. So we kind of expect our friends to make sacrifices right for us. Like we're friends. They're our friend. Like if they do something nice for us, that's kind of expected, right? That's why they're our friend. Have you all ever had somebody that you didn't even know make a sacrifice for you? That you can remember that you want to tell me right now? Go. Someone gave you a friendship bracelet to buy a gift? Someone gave up her friendship bracelet to buy you a gift. You didn't even know them? That's amazing. That is amazing. Did you, Danielle, did you want to share one? Uh, I can't okay, you can't remember. All right. Oh, wonderful. You have a friend for seven years. That's great. Well, we kind of expect our friends to make sacrifices, but when someone that doesn't even know us sacrifices for us, that's a pretty big deal, right? I have a story. We were, um, a couple of weeks ago, Miss Darlene saw that somebody was giving away a couch. And we wanted to have a couch in our living room. And so we went and met with this guy, and he had just bought this house. And he's like, man, I just want to get rid of this couch. So if you guys want to haul it away, you can have it. And so we started loading up in the truck, and um, while we were loading up, he came out and talked to us, and we told him who we were and how long we lived here and all that stuff and said we we serve at Fishery Baptist Church. And, and he said, oh, well, you know, I was going to sell this bed, but... I want to give it to you guys to use for your ministry. And so instead of selling the bed, he gave it to us so we could put it in the back in our ministry house. And so we got two new beds to put back there so when we have teams come and serve us, they have somewhere to sleep. That was pretty awesome that he gave that sacri- he sacrificed to give us something so we could do the ministry. We don't expect people to make sacrifices who we don't know. But you know what's really interesting? That's exactly what Jesus did. You know that? Jesus had never met you before, and yet Jesus came to Jerusalem and gave his life on the cross so that you could be saved, a complete stranger, so you could know God and have a relationship with him. Jesus died on the cross. What happened after he died on the cross? Where'd they put him? In a tomb in the ground, right? And then what happened on the third day? He rose again. Isn't that pretty awesome? Jesus did all those things for you so that you could be saved and go with him to be with him in heaven. So the word of the day today is Passover. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Can you guys say Passover? Passover. Passover. All right. So that's it. We're We're all done for now. So the word of the day is Passover. Thank you guys for coming up here. And you can tell me your story after church, all right? All right, good job. All right, so, church, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word with me today and open it up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, as we consider what the Christian church refers to as Palm Sunday. And on this Palm Sunday, we are going to talk about the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so I'm just going to spend just a few minutes talking about Jesus's magnificent entrance into Jerusalem on this day as we celebrate what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into and enters Jerusalem in preparation for his last week as he prepares to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross, and then, of course, on the third day to rise again, which is what we will celebrate next Sunday on Easter. So turn with me to John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. We're going to see first our Passover lamb enters Jerusalem. John 12, verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took palm branches and waved them. Now, we're going to stop there at the end of verse 12. And I'm just going to give you sort of some information about what's happening here in Jerusalem. Jesus came to Jerusalem to be a sacrifice. If you were to read the Gospel of John, which is the book we're in today, you would recognize that well before Jesus ever entered Jerusalem, he began to tell his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and he knew exactly what would happen to him in Jerusalem when he got there. He told his disciples before he ever went, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. well before that ever happened the baptizer john looked upon jesus as he came around the bend along the sea of galilee at the beginning of jesus's ministry looked upon him and said look it's the lamb of god who came to take away the sins of the world jesus was born and lived to die as a sacrifice for your sin and mine And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem under his own power, willingly to lay down his life. Shortly before he entered Jerusalem, he was in a small town adjacent to Jerusalem called Bethany. It was at this place where Mary came in with her bottle of perfume and anointed his feet. A gift to him. And also a preparation for his death and burial. Well, it says there that he had come, and the people had come into Jerusalem for a great feast. That great feast was called Passover. It was something that, Jerusalem, that the Jews celebrated on an annual basis in remembrance of what God had done for the people of Israel when they were enslaved in a country called Egypt. They were, for generations, enslaved in Egypt and were crying out to God, for him to free them, for him to rescue them. And so God heard their prayer. He sends them a prophet named Moses. Moses comes into Egypt to set God's people free. Now God sends Moses and his brother Aaron to Pharaoh, probably at that time one of the most powerful men in the whole world, with a message, You will release my people so that they may leave and worship me. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to God. And so God sent a series of judgments upon Egypt because of Pharaoh's hard heart. The final judgment that God pronounced upon the people of Egypt was the death of the firstborn male of every single family. And these were God's instructions to his people. On this night you shall shall sacrifice a lamb... And you will eat all of that lamb within your home or within your neighbor's homes. And you will take some of the blood of that lamb and you will smear it on the doorpost of your house. For on this night I will send an angel and he will kill the firstborn male of every single family. Except for the families who have sacrificed the lamb and smeared the blood on their doorpost. Those who have by faith in my command sacrificed the lamb and smeared the blood will be passed over by the angel of death. And so that's exactly what happened in Egypt on that night as the final judgment of God fell upon those people. The Israelites who had executed, who had sacrificed the lamb in remembrance of God's command for them and smeared the blood on their doorposts were passed over. And those who did not experience the death of the firstborn male in every single household. And so God commanded his people to, for the rest of time, celebrate this Passover. Every year they are to take a lamb that's unblemished, that's perfect in every way. They are to sacrifice that lamb in remembrance of what God did for them in Egypt. The time when he passed over them. And judge the people. That Passover lamb was also to remind them of the forgiveness of sin. And throughout their sacrificial system, the people of Israel would sacrifice lambs and bulls, and that blood would be an atonement or a covering for their sin. And so Jesus and the people of Israel had all gathered in Jerusalem at this time in preparation for the Passover feast. Remembering what God had done in providing them freedom from slavery in Egypt. But also, the Passover was designed by God to remind the the people of Israel that one day they would be freed by their Messiah. So every time they celebrated this Passover, it was in remembrance of what God did and to celebrate what God would one day do hundreds of thousands of people would descend or ascend to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people, picture this, would be camped on hillsides, staying in homes, hotels. The city was full of people, full of pilgrims, full of residents, all gathered to celebrate this Passover meal. Now all of these people, many, in fact, of these people had come And gathered in the street as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Picture the crowds. Picture the size. The magnitude of the noise. As they stirred and looked and strained their necks to see this Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Verse 13 continues. It says, They took palm branches, branches of the palm trees, and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. You see, these palm branches that the Israelites grabbed and waved as Jesus entered into the town had significance. They represented liberation. They represented independence and national pride. And as they waved these palm branches as Jesus entered the city, they looked upon him as their great king, sent by God to liberate them from slavery once again. No longer slavery to Egypt, but slavery to Rome, their occupying authority. Is this Jesus, the one sent by God to free us? to liberate us. And as Jesus comes the crowd recites two Old Testament messianic prophecies, first Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26 which say this, O Lord, do save we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Listen verse 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so they quote part of that as they sing Hosanna to their king. And then Zechariah 9.9, another passage that they believe the prophet Zechariah said about the Messiah who would one day come and save them. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Listen to this part. He is just and endowed with Salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As they see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they're shouting, Hosanna, 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 which means salvation is now. This group believed that Jesus was the king, the Messiah, sent by God to free them from Roman occupation. They believed that he was a political hero. That he would come in and he would rise up a great army. And they would fight once again for their independence just like King David led the Israelites. This is what they believed about who Jesus was. But that's not who Jesus was. Jesus Entered into Jerusalem as a suffering servant. He was not a king like David. He was a lamb who came to die. He was a suffering servant. He was a spiritual savior. He didn't come to kill but to be killed for the salvation of many. Not everybody understood what was happening when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that day. Not even his disciples. Look at verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at first. If you read the Gospel of John or any of the four Gospels, you quickly recognize that his disciples were often wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Is it on this day, they would ask, that that you'll set up your kingdom? Or other times they ask, hey, can we sit at your right hand and at your left hand as you establish your kingdom? At this point, I believe the disciples still believed that Jesus was going to be like David. That he was going to start a war, and that they were going to be independent from Rome once again, have their country back. They didn't understand who Jesus was fully, But all hope is not lost, as John writes, look at the text in verse 16. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So picture the disciples not fully understanding, even believing up to the point of Jesus' crucifixion, that he was supposed to be this Messiah. They had a preconceived notion of the Messiah, like King David bringing war and independence and freedom from Rome. And here's their Messiah nailed to a cross, dying, then dead, then buried in the grave. Ah, but the story didn't end there, did it? Rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures, then ascended to be at the right hand of God. And when that Jesus was glorified, what John reports is then, then the disciples recognized who He really is. Imagine the moment when they figured out Ah, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus' disciples would need to experience his torture, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to be at the right hand of God before they really understood his identity and his mission. Verse 17 continues, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason, also, people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So not only had people gathered to see Jesus enter Jerusalem because of what he had done and because of what they believed about his identity as the Messiah, there was also the testimony, the story, about what Jesus had done for this man Lazarus. You remember the story, right? Lazarus has gotten very sick. And he died and he was buried in a cave, in a tomb, for three days. And Jesus left him there his good friend, to die and to rot in the tomb. And then after those days, Jesus said, you know, I think it's time for us to go see Lazarus, which was appropriate. Martha and Mary, his sisters, would have been crying and terrified, but still he goes. And he goes up and meets everybody, and then he goes to the tomb, and he says, take the the stone away. And they're like, Jesus you realize it's going to stink really bad, right? He's been dead for a while. He says take it away, so he takes it away, and Jesus doesn't even go in the tomb. He just calls Lazarus out. Like, "Hey Lazarus, come on out here." You imagine what it was like to be with Jesus outside the cave as he calls into a tomb to a dead man and tells him to come out. Now, what happened next? Lazarus comes out with his burial bandages on, the cloths that are around him, and Jesus, of course, has to... What's interesting about the story is Jesus had to tell them to take off the burial cloths, right? Lazarus is standing there, sort of wrapped in all these cloths, but he's alive. Everybody, I think, is in so much shock, they don't know what to do. First of all, they're they're not wanting to touch a dead man. Well, he's not dead anymore. He's alive. And he tells them take his, his take that stuff off of him he's alive right so then they finally do well if you had heard that someone raised somebody from the dead who had been dead three days what do you think you would do if that person came to town like check it out right nobody Wait, would you check it out yeah, right? That's really exciting. So there's a crowd there that have gathered because they're Bible scholars, right? And they, they've read their Old Testament, and Jesus is fulfilling Messianic prophecy. So when Jesus comes to town before the Passover, they're all going to go see him come to town. Then there's another group of people who have heard this testimony like, this Jesus from Nazareth, he's raised somebody from the dead, right? Right? Like, even during the time of Roman occupation, two things were certain, the same two things that are certain today. You're going to die, and you're going to pay taxes. Right? Is that true today? Right? Right? It was still, it was true then, too. They were certain of two things. You died, and you paid Rome the taxes. Right? And Jesus had raised this man from the dead, and so people gathered because they were excited about what Jesus had done. Now what's interesting that I want to point out here is all of this was done to demonstrate Jesus' identity as the Messiah but they didn't understand his identity as the Messiah I'm so glad that our culture doesn't do this today we don't try and make Jesus out to be someone he's not doing our culture does that all the time we have a failure of not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, but the Jesus of whatever we want him to be. And that's what's going on here. They didn't understand that the pathway to peace was found on the road to Calvary, that the freedom Jesus offered was freedom from sin's consequences, that the restoration and redemption God promised was eternal and global in nature. The war Jesus will fight will be a war against sin and Satan, and the victory Jesus will win will be one of heavenly proportions with eternal significance. Over one-third of the Gospel of John is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. That's interesting, right? Jesus walked this earth and Jesus ministered on this earth for three years. And John spent the third the last third of his gospel on one week. Now, why is that interesting? Let's flash back to my description of the Passover. So the requirements of the Passover lamb, the lamb that every family would select and sacrifice as in fulfillment of God's command for them to remember what he did for them in the Exodus and in what he one day will do in sending his Messiah and saving them. These lambs had to be without blemish. So by this time, it's interesting, if they were able to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, there, there was a whole industry of, of producing these lambs so, you would travel there, and many people didn't bring the lamb with them. They brought money. You would go to the temple, and you would purchase a lamb to sacrifice. And all of these lambs had to be without blemish. And so the priests would inspect every lamb. And if they found a blemish, the lamb that you brought or bought, that lamb was unacceptable and could not be sacrificed. So the lambs were all inspected, just like our meat, you know, by the FDA has inspected these lambs. They had priests, they inspected the lamb to make sure it was appropriate for sacrifice. Why did John spend the last third of his gospel on the week, the last week of Jesus's life? First of all, because of the significance of what Jesus would do in dying on the cross and rising again. Also, if you were to to read the last third of the Gospel of John, you would see Jesus' inspection. Go back and read it today when you go home. Watch what Jesus did the last third of the Gospel of John, the last week of his life. What was he doing? Standing in front of the religious leaders. He was castigated, persecuted, questioned by them, also by his disciples. He was inspected. Jesus came to Jerusalem to be the Passover lamb. But the Passover lamb had to be without blemish. And at the end of that week, when Jesus gave his life and was nailed upon that cross... As a sacrifice to God, he was found to be without blemish. So Jesus spent this next week being inspected. And he would give glory to God. The Passover lamb gives his life, and he also gives glory to God. I want you to turn to a parallel passage in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Verses 39 and 40. It says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. If you were to read the Gospel of John or any of the Gospels, you would notice that Jesus, when people came to give him glory, deflected that glory to God. He kept oftentimes his identity as the Messiah secret. One example is when he fed 5,000 and the people came to make him king, what did he do? He left under the cover of night and went across the Sea of Galilee because it wasn't his time yet to be crowned as king. Well, guess what this time is? As Jesus walks into Jerusalem, it's time for him to be worshipped as king. And so as he comes, the Pharisees see the people worshiping him, proclaiming his name as the one who was sent by God to save Israel. And they tell them, you need to quiet down your people. This is blasphemy. Why was it blasphemy? They believed it was blasphemy because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And so Jesus responds to them, even if I tell them to be quiet, we can't ignore this moment, because Jesus is king. Jesus is God in the flesh. Because of who he is, if the crowds were silent, he says, even the rocks would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because Jesus is is the messiah and this was his appointed time finally the passover lamb starts an unstoppable movement look at verse 19 of John chapter 12 so the pharisees said to one another you see that you're not doing any good look the world has gone after him so the pharisees were the were the sect of Judaism who had power at this time. They, they pretty much ran the show in Jerusalem. And they had a small amount of authority given to them by Rome. And so they didn't really want to upset the apple cart, right? Because what we've known from our study of the book of Acts together is that in the Roman Empire, if anyone created a problem, they came in with ruthless authority and absolutely squashed any kind of rebellion or issue And the Pharisees knew this. And and so they, they saw these thousands upon thousands of people gathered around shouting Hosanna, proclaiming Jesus to be the coming king, and they're worried. We're going to get some attention here from Rome, and they're going to come in with their soldiers, and they're going to cut all of us down, and they're going to take away our authority. And so they tried to stop what Jesus has started. They challenged his teaching. They threatened his life, they spread lies about his origin and his intentions, they ignored his miracles, they threatened his disciples, and they poisoned the minds of the people so they would not follow Jesus. at the end of the day, after they spent three years trying to stop what Jesus had started, this was their conclusion. You see, you are not doing any good. Why? Why? Why had they failed in stopping Jesus' ministry? Because this is God's ordained time and place for the proclamation of salvation through Jesus. Nothing was going to stop what Jesus started. Nothing. That movement began with 12 men, 12 disciples. Today, there are over 600 million Christians in this world. What started with 12 has now grown to 600 million. And the Bible promises us that it will not be stopped. That the enemy Satan or this evil world system, no government, no dictator, nothing will stop the kingdom of God from expanding. Nothing will stop the proclamation of the gospel And the people whom God is calling will be saved. How do I know this? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things, and I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Nothing can stop the movement of God. And so what Jesus began on that day as he walked into Jerusalem, well, actually rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, what the people proclaimed, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Salvation is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, how do we respond to that? Three ways. Three ways, very quickly, I want to give you to prepare your hearts for Easter. Number one is Jesus your sacrifice for sin? Is Jesus your Passover lamb? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has the blood of Christ, the way the Israelites spread the blood on the doorpost, has that blood that Jesus shed on the cross been applied to your heart? The Bible says if you turn from sin and trust in him as Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And have you done that today? Number two, give glory to him. Pray and prepare your hearts To celebrate the risen king. Ask for forgiveness. And celebrate what he's done for us on the cross. Prepare your hearts to come back next Sunday. And celebrate his rising from the dead. Proclaim his name. Who do you know that needs to be here next Sunday? Who do you know that needs to hear that Jesus rose again from the dead. And finally, join the movement. We're 600 million strong. And we're getting stronger by the day. In fact, today, people will be saved. Today, people will give their hearts to Jesus. Today, people will join the mission field. Today, people will tell others about what Jesus has done for us. So prepare your hearts, pray to the Lord, look into the Easter story, and tell people about what he's done in your life. We're going to have a time now of invitation. If you've not been here before for this, what's going to happen is we're, we're all going to stand in a minute and we're all going to sing a song together. And this is your time to respond to whatever God's doing in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Maybe today's the day that you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to join this church or just come up and pray at the altar or come up for prayer and I'd be happy to pray with you, whatever is going on in your life. But let's not let this moment pass. Whatever God's using this moment to do in your heart, let's take a step of faith and respond to that. Would you all stand with me as we sing? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that... You surrendered your life as you walked into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. That you willingly gave your life over that week to be inspected and found blameless, flawless, and without blemish. The perfect lamb to be sacrificed for our sins. And help us, God, this week to celebrate what you've done on our behalf.